Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. Stand as we begin a new series today. Excited for what God's going to do in 2024. I know that you are as well. And we're going to open up this series from, uh, from the Word of God by heading into the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 10. So if you'd please turn there in your Bibles, and we will begin by reading one verse, verse 14. But throughout this message, we're going to be uh, speaking through the first 14 verses of this awesome chapter. And I believe you're going to be encouraged today. Joshua chapter 10. Verse 14 says this, There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. And when I read that scripture, I get pumped. On that day, Joshua, who is writing this account of what took place in around the 14th BC, 14th century B.C., He's writing about this day, and he's like, oh my goodness, there has never been a day like that one in his entire lifetime. That day stood out. And he saw some great days, but that day stood out. Look at why. Because the Lord answered a prayer. Lord, I pray that over these next few moments that you would accomplish in us what you want to accomplish in us. That our faith would be stirred, grown, increased, come alive, believing you for greater things. In your name, Lord, amen and amen. You can be seated. Well, I do like coming into a new year because it does seem like a fresh start. It does seem like a new beginning in a lot of areas. There might be some things from 2023. You're like, I can't wait to get past that. Okay, I'm here. Or some things you didn't accomplish. And you're like, all right, forget it. I don't have to dwell on that. Here I am now in 2024. It's this new hope that we have heading into a new year. It's like a clean slate. And uh, I reflected on even that phrase, clean slate, this week as I thought back to when I was in eighth grade and I stepped foot into junior high for my first day of eighth grade. And our junior high principal, Mr. Phillips, hopefully you didn't have him, but Mr. Phillips said to all of us on that day, today's a clean slate, first day of eighth grade. And for some people it was no big deal. But for me and others who had spent part of our seventh grade lives in detention, we were like, that's best news ever. Like, best news ever. There's no carryover. Like, here we go, clean slate. And that's what it is in a new year. It's uncharted territory. It's a new adventure. And on June 20, 1803, Thomas Jefferson, speaking of adventure, commissioned Meriwether Lewis and his crew to go on an expedition to find a waterway, a direct waterway from the Missouri River to the Pacific Ocean. And so this crew set out on this mission. And after 15 months of grueling travel challenges, dealing with angry grizzly bears, dealing with upstream travel, they finally came to the crest of a hill after 15 long months. And as they approached the crest of that hill, 
their records indicate that they were convinced that as they peeked over that hill, they were going to see a waterway that would take them right to the Pacific Ocean. That possibly even looking over the hill, they would see the Pacific Ocean. But to their shock and to their dismay, when they got to the top of that hill and they looked over, they did not see the Pacific Ocean. They saw the Rocky Mountains. And after 15 months, their real adventure was about to begin. You know, when we come to the end of a year, that being 2023 for us right now, we look back, we're like, okay, that's been an experience, that's been an adventure. But coming to the crest of that hill, we, we peek over and we want to have excitement. And we, there's, we should have anticipation for great things that are going to happen, new adventures, new, new opportunities. And I shared some of this back in August, but I really believe that we are on a threshold. We're stepping over a threshold into a a realm of God using us in greater ways than we've ever been used before. That you experiencing God's grace in your life like never before. Your faith growing like uh, like never before. Like our influence in this community and the communities around us being so impactful now more than ever. I truly believe that. Now, if you see the Rocky Mountains, you see beauty, majestic peaks. Maybe you've visited or maybe you've just looked online and seen pictures. And when Lewis and Clark crested that hill and saw the beauty and the majesty of the Rocky Mountains, their experience is probably different than ours in seeing the Rocky Mountains. Because they couldn't just go to the foot of them and take a selfie and be like, whoa, look where I'm at. They had to... Get over them. And see, that's the thing. When we crest the hill of a new year, there's anticipation for the excitement and all that God wants to do in and through us and the growth that we're going to experience in our lives. But there is also straight up challenge, right? There's a, there are Rocky Mountain peaks that we have to somehow get over. God, please help us. Many of us are, are facing challenges even right now. Marriages, the kids stress, different pressures that you might be feeling, whether financial or job, challenges in relationships, and the list can go on and on and on. Would you agree that based on the challenges that all of us are facing right now, that we need God now more than ever? Based on the challenges our world is facing right now, we we need God now more than ever. And this Joshua chapter 10 account is a time when the Israelites might very well have said the same thing. God, we need you now more than ever. This was 40 years after they had been delivered from slavery, which was 400 years in Egypt. And now they were stepping into the promised land and there were some things that had taken place and needed to take place to where they were likely saying that very thing. God, we need you now more than ever. Now, thankfully God showed up and he showed off. And he showed them his ability, his love for them, and his desire to impact their lives and to give them what he had promised them. But interestingly, right before God shows up and shows off, right before this miraculous moment, this great moment for the Israelites took place, there were a couple not so great moments that had just taken place. In fact, they were actually colossal failures in the history of Israel. The first one was the failure of AI, and I want you to know I'm talking about the original AI right now. I'm not talking about artificial intelligence. 
but Ai. Ai was a, a, a small village with very few inhabitants that uh, was located near Jericho. The name for Ai actually means, in the original, a heap of ruins. So this was not a place that was talked of uh, very highly, and it was just one that was insignificant. Understand, the Israelites had just come out of Jericho. They just had this massive battle. They won. God won the victory, but they thought they did. And they come out of that, and they're feeling great about themselves. And then they come to this place called Ai, which is the next one on the map, the next one that they are going to conquer in order to claim the promised land. And as they come to Ai, they, they realize small in number, very insignificant. And so Joshua and the leadership decide, well, we're just going to send uh, some of the soldiers, not the whole army. Uh, you guys stay here, keep, you know eating s'mores or whatever you do, but every, we're just going to send a few people over here. And so they sent a few of their army number to Ai in order to conquer it because it was going to be so easy. The best way I can describe this, it would be like playing the Pistons right now, okay. It's like you know you're going to win. You know it. It's going to happen. And so he, he sends a small number of the army to Ai, but something shocking happens, and that is the people of Ai chase the people of Israel. Not only that, they killed 36 of them. And this was an embarrassing, a tragic loss of life for the Israelites. They thought they were going to be everybody. But what happened was they couldn't even be AI. So what happened? Well, come to find out, in the previous battle of Jericho, God had told the Israelites, okay, for this one, don't take any plunder. Don't take anything out of there. It's, it's consecrated or dedicated to be destroyed. But one man thought he was above the rules. There's always one guy, isn't there? One guy thought he was above the rules. And he, so he goes and he takes some things, gold coins, some extra clothing, whatever. Takes it, hides it in his tent thinking nobody will find out. What happened was they went to Ai and instead of winning, they lost. 36 people lost their lives because one man thought he was above the rules. Now, when the sin was ultimately dealt with, then the, the Israeli army ended up going to Ai and they won. But they learned a valuable, valuable, valuable lesson. It's a good one for all of us as well. And that is God's commands are not always convenient or popular or easy. But God's commands are to be fully obeyed. And the Israelites learned that through that failure. There was another failure that they experienced right after that, and that was the failure of Gibeon. Gibeon was the, the, the next one on the map, and the Gibeonites knew that they were the next one on the map. They knew the Israelites were sweeping through, and so they devised a ruse. And so they dressed up in old clothing, had old food, and they, they traveled all the way to the camp of the Israelites, which was actually next door. And they acted like they were from a foreign country and they wanted to make a treaty. We've heard of you, we've heard of your God, how he is, he is fighting for you. And so we want to make a treaty. We're, we're way far away. You don't have to worry about us. They sign the treaty, the Israelites do. And then they find out that the Gibeonites were actually next door neighbors. And that was not God's plan A to make a treaty with any of these evil nations. But yet Israelite leaders got hoodwinked. Completely tricked. The Israelites, when they found out about it, were upset with their leaders because of this failure. The failure of Ai was a failure to obey. The failure of Gibeon was a failure to pray. 
to seek the Lord, to ask the God who had led them out of slavery, what do you want us to do next? And I want to say to every person here, and especially let me say to young people who are here, God cares about your big and your small decisions. He actually loves you so much, he wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to help you to know what that next step should be, what that next decision should be. And it's because he loves you. I mean, parents, why do you uh, tell your kids not to touch the hot oven when they're little? Because you love them. Why, why do you tell uh, maybe a teenage son or daughter or a 20-something, if you know, they're dating someone and you don't have a good feeling about it, why do you let them know, like, hey, I don't have a, it's your call, but I don't have a good feeling about this. Why? Because you love them and so does God. God loves you. He wants to help lead you and guide you in your big and your small decisions. And the Gibeonite Treaty for the Israelites was not God's best. It wasn't his plan A. It's, it's not what he had for them. But the Israelites failed to even pray about it, even ask God, God, this is a huge decision. What should we do? They didn't even consult God. They just went ahead and did what they wanted to do, what they thought was best in the moment. And it turned out to be another failure, another failure. I believe every single one of us knows what it feels like to fail, to have failure in our life, to, to miss the boat of God's perfect will. Maybe even this last week as you look back on it, there were some moments you're like, yeah, that, that was failure. Maybe you got to the end of the day and you looked back and you're like, hey, I, 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 I talked and acted and joked just like everybody else who doesn't profess to be a follower of Jesus. What's up with that? Like, what was I doing? I know Lacey and I um, earlier this week had an argument, and it, it wasn't like we started the year like, we're going to have more arguments this year. But if I, like, I'm in the kitchen one night, I am pounding cake pops like you would not believe. I got my phone, I'm checking up with all the great things happening in the world. It's so encouraging. And I'm looking at that, I'm eating cake pops. And then uh, she comes through and she was working on something else. And then a topic comes up between us. And it was kind of a big topic. And I'm doing something, she's doing something. And we kind of are trying to talk about this big topic, which should have been a sit-down topic. You know what I'm talking about. And we like, oh, no, no, no. Ends up, we start arguing about this. Have this full-on argument. And then later on, you know, later on after you like take a deep breath and you process. Later on, we sit down and we're talking about it and... I had to admit, took a little while, I'm a little slow, but ha I had to admit, yeah, I was, I was way too defensive in that conversation. And, and she admitted that she was too sensitive in that conversation. And so we, we were able to talk it through, but we're like, well, we just started the new year and that's how we're starting off? Like, what is the deal? Maybe some of us can relate to that. An argument with the spouse, there's tension that's there, maybe uh, sets in something at work. Maybe, maybe uh, this week you, you, you caved to the enemy's lies and, and watched porn again. And we, and we look at our lives and at times there are failures. But I want you to know that we serve a God that even though we've failed, he doesn't give up on us. And you might even feel like you're stuck in failure. You're in the rut of failure, the pool of failure, the pattern of failure, whatever you want to call it. Can't seem to get out. I want you to know that there is hope. And we see this in Joshua chapter 10 in this awesome account. Beginning in verse 1, let me, know, let me let you know what happens here. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that 
Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai, he also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all of this. And so the king calls upon four different kings, all Amorite kings, to come together to unite forces in order to go and attack Gibeon because they had made a treaty with Israel. Verse 6 says, The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. Please understand, this was a big moment for Joshua. And here's why. We can all relate. We know how demoralizing failure is, right? Joshua was in his tent possibly having the same thoughts that we have when we come out of failure or we find ourselves in a time or a season of failure. And that is like, what is my deal? Like, why haven't I got over this yet? Why, why, why can't I be better? I thought I was over. I, I don't think I even have what it takes to be in this role, to, to do this, to do that. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. You might even have the thought as you're sitting in your tent of failure, I don't know if there's any hope. What's the point of even trying? Joshua was a dude. He was a human being, just like us. And so those thoughts, I'm sure, were running through his head like he has just had two huge colossal failures on his watch. And now the messengers from Gibeon come and say, come and help us. And Joshua's like, man, I wonder if I'm not the right guy. I wonder if they should go to someone else's tent. But in the midst of all of that, which was probably happening and running through Joshua's head, we read this in verse 7. Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And we could just read that and be like, yeah, cool, that's what they do, right? But understand, it was in this time of colossal failure that Joshua gets up out of his tent, straps on his, his equipment, and his armor, and says, guys, we're heading out right now. And he gets the entire army, and they head out, and they begin this march. And the reality is what Joshua did is he moved beyond his failures. He moved beyond his failures. I want to ask you, what do you do after you fail? Whether it's failing in the business, or it's failing by giving into sin, or it's failing by something you said or didn't say. Hopefully you repent and embrace God's forgiveness, but do you stay in that failure which is so common, so common? Do you stay in 2023? Do you stay in 1983? Whatever you look back on as failures in your life. You see, nobody drowns by falling into water. People who drown, drown because they stay in the water. Either they don't get out or they aren't rescued. And Joshua could very easily have stayed in that tent of failure. But yet what he did is he gets up and he moves beyond it. He gets his entire army together and they began the trek from their camp to Gibeon. That could have been Joshua staying in the failure, but he moved beyond it. And I believe that's what God has for us in 2024. Move beyond your failure. 
how, does he, how is he able to do that? Well, what we see next is that he began to open his ears to what God was saying. You see, before, at AI, what happened? He relied on his own experience and ability in battle to win the next battle. He thought, hey, I've done this before in Jericho. I can do this again. No problem. Easy dubs right here going to AI. But what happened was he relied on the wrong thing. He relied on his experience and his ability instead of relying on God. We see at Gibeon, the failure there was to pray. What they, Joshua and the Israelites actually relied on several people, several counselors that came together. And they were like, yeah, let's do this. Let's sign the treaty. I tasted their food nasty. They're from a long way away. Let's sign this treaty. And so he relied on the counsel of people who were around him. Now that can be really good in your life if it's really good counsel. But it's not always. Now that's a serious thing, but if I could just share something that's not so serious, it's kind of funny, but it felt serious at the time. When I was um, really little, I had gotten in trouble, probably the first time ever. No, I got in trouble a lot and at home, and so um, my parents were going to spank me. And at the time, I did not think I deserved it. Looking back, I probably deserved more than I got. But they were going to spank me, and so my older sister gave me counsel, and she said, you should put on more pairs of underwear so that it doesn't hurt as bad. And I'm like, I never thought this about my older sister, but she's a genius. <laughs> and so I put every pair of underwear I could find on, and I waddle into the, into the room like the Pillsbury Doughboy, ready to get spanked. And, and obviously they saw through that, and it, and it didn't go good. <laughs> it wasn't a good plan. A funny way to illustrate that Sometimes we get counsel that's not good. And the reality is that we live in a world that's noisy right now. We're getting all sorts of counsel from all sorts of people and organizations and entities. And Joshua had got some counsel, but it wasn't good. It was just noise and it cost them, came back to bite them. And Joshua came to a point when he was in that tent when he's like, you know what? I'm going to listen to counsel when it's good, but first and foremost, I'm going to pray and seek the Lord. What Joshua needed was a word from God. And he began to open his ears. He chose to open his ears to what God was saying. And God had something to say. Verse 8, the Lord says, Do not be afraid of them, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. It was a word from God. It gave him reassurance that God was with them. Gave him reassurance they didn't have to be afraid even though what he was facing was difficult. And it gave him future direction. Go. Because not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. And you might say, well, Pastor Keith, in my situation, is it really that simple? I need a word from God? And I would say, yes, you need a word from God. You need God's word. Which is a lamp to your feet and God promises it will be a light to your path. In a world of confusion... We need the clarity which comes from the word of God. In, in a world where, where ethics are kicked under the table and there's moral ambiguity, we need the word of God which clearly articulates the ways of God which work every time. There's this world that we're living in it has a lot of fear in it. We all know that. We can sense that. We can see it. A trust in God's word gives you a peace that passes all understanding. A trust that is uncommon and 
one that will be recognizable to the people who are around you when they ask you, how in the world are you walking with peace through this? We need a word from God. And I want to encourage you with everything that is in me to be in the word consistently, even on a daily basis. Consistently, even on a daily basis in the word. Getting your marching orders from the word. Getting your reassurance from the word of God. If you're not in a reading plan right now, you're like, where do I even start? We have a reading plan on our app, our CCC app. You can go there, and it has an Old Testament chapter and a New Testament chapter. You can just pick up right on today if you go there even today. Be in the Word. It's at your fingertips. Take advantage of it. Joshua chose to open his ears to what God was saying, and then he took action based on what God was saying. Verse 9 says, Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. And, and when you read that, especially if you're newer to the, to the word of God, you're newer to the Old Testament, there's all these wars and you're like, well, that's not cool. Like, shouldn't they have been brought before a, a jury of their peers and had a fair and, and quick trial before? before a fair judge, like, what, what is the deal? And I get that as you read it. You're like, whoa. But understand something. Centuries before, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 15, God promised Abraham that the land that the Israelites were now in, the land of Ai and Gibeon and the Amorites, etc., was actually land that God had created and formed and planned for his chosen people to inhabit. And then through him, salvation would come to the entire world. That is through Jesus. That was God's plan. And so God promised centuries before that Abraham's descendants would be able to have that land. Secondly, God promised in Genesis chapter 15 that there was going to be a judgment that would come to the Amorites. Because the Amorites were a people group who had turned their back on God. They had flipped God off a time and time again. They refused to worship the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And God said in Genesis 15 that there will come a time when their evil reaches a point where they must be judged. And this was that day where the Amorites came together to attack the Israelites. God made a promise of the land, but also a promise that judgment would come against those who were evil and refused to turn to him. And we see this happening right here. The next verse says, Then the Israelites chased the enemy. And as the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. Now this is not normal in battle. This is the only time I remember reading about something like this. They should make a movie about this one. Hail's coming down. Can you imagine like the accuracy of the hailstone drones coming down, hitting only enemy soldiers in that moment? That would be crazy to see. And Joshua had a front row seat to this. He's watching this take place before his eyes. And can you just imagine that the longer that he watches this hail come down and take out more of the enemy, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's what happens when we see miracles. I think that's what happens when we see God come through in a tangible way, when we see a miracle take place. When we look back and realize, I just walked through that situation and I had a peace beyond understanding the entire time. And you look back and you're like, whoa, that was God. 
That was God. And don't your eyes just get a little bit bigger when you see God do something? That's what's happening to Joshua. Just getting a little bit, little bit bigger. Joshua chose to open his eyes to what was possible. Because he was seeing it before his very eyes. God do something that a human can't do. And this concept of of eyes getting wider, of our eyes um, becoming bigger, if you will, with the things of God and the expectation of what God can do is very, very biblical. You see this uh, in scripture. You see Jesus talking to his disciples and said, you've seen this miracle that I did? You're going to see much greater things than that. Just, Just wait, okay? Jesus told his disciples once, hey, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe, ready for harvest. In other words, there are thousands and millions Billions of people that need to hear about the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. That need to have the opportunity to come to him. And Jesus is saying, open your eyes wide to the harvest. The Apostle Paul prayed this. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. That you would know the hope to which you are called. That you would experience the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. And that you would have your eyes open to the incomparable great power of God. Available for us who believe. In scripture we, we read that open your eyes. And Joshua opened his eyes to what was possible. And as a result of his eyes getting bigger and bigger and his view of God getting bigger and bigger and bigger, he did something that I hope you will do this year. With eyes wide open, oh my goodness, my God can do anything. Joshua decided to pray an audacious prayer. He decided to pray something that no one had ever thought to pray before. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Let the sun stand still. In other words, make the day longer, God. Because what was happening is God had told Joshua and the Israelites to go and to take out the Amorite army. And they're chasing them. They've got some, but then the hail's getting others. But there were still some getting away. And it was getting close to the time when Joshua knew nightfall was coming. And so Joshua was just trying to obey the Lord. And Lord, you've told us to do this. And so we're, we're trying to do it. But I'm going to need some help here. We need some more daylight in order to see these guys. Verse 13. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jasher? Just a side note, many believe that was probably a collection of historical accounts put to music that the Israelites would have used to commemorate things such as this. Once again, verse 13, so the sun stood still And the moon stayed in place. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. Wow. Now some of you might be thinking, okay, the sun stood still. Like, doesn't the sun always stay still? Like the earth, aren't we like zipping around pretty fast? Think about it this way. It's not uncommon for any of us to talk about the sunset or the sunrise. Hey, I saw the sunset at this time, or I saw the sunrise at this time. Now, are we saying that 
the sun is moving. Now, it sure appears like it though, right? Especially if, you, if it's like 4 o'clock in Michigan in the winter. It's like, man, sun's setting. It's very, very common for us to, to talk like that, knowing that the sun is actually not moving. The earth is orbiting around. But the point of this uh, passage is that God did an extraordinary miracle to where there was more daylight. And some people have tried to offer explanations such as uh, the, the God caused the earth's normal rotation uh, to slow in order to give more uh, daylight. Some people have said maybe there is God caused an unusual refraction of the sun's rays in order to give some more daylight. But remember, however it took place, nothing is too hard for our God, including causing there to be more daylight. Uh, the psalmist said it like this, the day is yours and the night is yours also, God. You establish the sun and the moon. It is not any harder for God to cause there to be more sunlight than it is for him to heal an ingrown toenail. All right, he's God. But regardless of how God chose to do the miracle, what we see is an extraordinary miracle provided by, by God in response to an audacious prayer, a prayer that had never been prayed before. And one of the things I love about this text from Joshua chapter 10 is that Joshua had prayed that the sun would, would set, the sun would stand still, the sun would continue to give light over Gibeon. God answered his prayer. Here's what I love about that. Gibeon was one of the places that represented colossal failure to the Israelites. When they thought of Gibeon, failure. When they thought of the Gibeonite people, failure. And it was at their place of failure that God performed an extraordinary miracle. God shined down on their place of failure and he flipped the script. And I believe God wants to do that in our lives. Because we've all been in the tent of failure. We've all been there. Maybe even this week. Oh, I can't believe this. Can't believe. We've all been there. And God wants to flip the script in 2024. And I believe these things will help you experience what God has for you this week and this year. Number one, move beyond your failure now more than ever. Move beyond your failure. Now more than ever. Staying there won't help anything. Understand what we see in Scripture. If you place your faith in Jesus, you are now a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. We are called in the New Testament to walk in the newness of the Spirit, to walk in newness of life. His mercies are new every day. God's into new. He is really into new. Move beyond the failure now more than ever. Secondly, I believe this will help you to choose to open your ears to what God is saying. His word is living and active, meaning every single day he can give you marching orders for your day. Every single day he can bring clarity and reassurance for your day. Choose to open your ears to what God is saying. And we need to do this now more than ever. There is so much noise. There are so many distractions. We must be people who, who choose to open ears to what God is saying. We need a word from God. And then finally, I believe this is going to help you as you go into 2024. And that is choose to open your eyes, your spiritual eyes. I'm talking about your faith to what is possible now more than ever. Our God is the God 
of miracles. Our God is able to do more than you could ever ask or imagine. So why not ask? Why not pray some audacious prayers? Because there are so many mountains that need to be moved. There are so many uh, breakthroughs that we need to experience in our lives. Come on. And there are so many people that just need to hear God so loved the world. We need God now more than ever because there are people, maybe even in this place, you came to this place, maybe God even brought you here so that you could hear the simple message of the gospel that God so loved the world and he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Can I invite everyone, if you would, just in this moment of prayer to bow your heads with me? And for those who are here today, You've walked in. Maybe that's exactly why God had you here. So you could hear that God showed his love to you, to me. That even though while we were sinners and failures, we rebelled against him, he died for us. He didn't die for his own sin because he is God, he is holy, and he is perfect. He died for your sin and for my sin so that we could be forgiven and brought into relationship with God. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and...